This episode of Get Booked is sponsored in part by Book Riot Insiders. And if you haven't tried it out already, your time is now. It is our resource specially designed for our fellow book nerds, and you can try it free for two weeks. There are three different levels available, so you can decide which perks you want, from a monthly behind-the-scenes newsletter to exclusive podcasts and giveaways. And speaking of perks, we've got a new release index curated by our resident velocireader, Liberty Hardy, so you can see the most exciting new books coming out in the next few months. Check it out and sign up for your 14-day free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 191, and we are recording a little bit early on July 26th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. This is going to come out in August. <laughs> we're talking to you from the past. We're always, <laughs> we're always talking to you from the past. So. That's true. That is how this works. <laughs> that is how this works. Yeah, I forgot like what year it was slash what day it was, and I'm traveling next week. So we're recording a little bit early, and I'm not as far along into my reading as I like to be. But here we are. This is This is the summer, and this is what happens. True story. Summer problems. Yes. Hashtag summer problems. <laughs> Let's see. So if this is the first time you're listening, welcome. And as we said at the top, this is a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations, which means listeners like you send us questions for what they should read next, what their book club should read next, what they should get for a friend or a relative, et cetera, et cetera. And we do our best to find you a good pick. If you want to send in a question, you can send it in via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or drop it in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. And if you have have a time-sensitive request, like it's somebody's birthday or you're going to be traveling somewhere, please put the date and time-sensitive at the very top of your request, either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. We will do our best. If we don't think we'll get to it on the air, or if you've asked a question that we've answered a couple times, we might shoot you an email response, so keep an eye out for those. All right, so we have a bunch of feedback from listeners, thank mm-hmm. you, of recommendations for folks who asked questions. Um, a librarian, Sharon, wrote in about the episode 185 question from Tracy, who was looking for a very specific book on serial killers that she couldn't remember the name of. Sharon did a targeted search because that's the thing that librarians know how to do. Yes, librarians! <laughs> I know. And came up with Serial Killers Murder Without Mercy by Nigel Blundell as an option. It is available through Overdrive and a number of other places. So, Tracy, if you are listening, maybe that is the book you were looking for? Question mark. Uh, take a look. And then, let's see, Sybil wrote in with recommendations for the questions uh, for Louisa, who wanted books set in Iran, Song of a Captive Bird by Jasmine Darznick. It's historical fiction following the life of the real poet, Farou Farazad. And the, Sybil says, this book is so beautiful and just captivating. You will get a lot of Iranian 20th century history, but in a non-painful way. One of my favorite reads of the year. And Sybil also recommends for Rachel, who's looking to get through post-surgery recovery. Uh, let's see. I ha- also had a long surgical recovery where basically all I could do was lie around and re-listen to audiobooks slash watch TV. I really enjoyed classics on audio during this time. Also plowed through a lot of Octavia Butler on audiobook. Terrific. And also The Mermaid and Mrs. Hancock by Imogen Hermes Goar, Spoonbenders by Daryl Gregory, and The History of Love by Nicole Krauss. So thank you for all of that feedback. Thank you very much. Okay. Our first question is from Nicole, and this is my favorite kind of question. I love this so much. Um, Nicole says, I tend to buy most of my books at library book sales, use bookstores, etc., where there are a lot of random books in a big mishmash. It makes me sad when I see a favorite but lesser known book in a pile being passed over again and again for new hyped releases. I'd love to know if you were at a used bookstore, what would be the book that would make you want to pull it out of the pile, hold it up like Simba in the Lion King, <laughs> while announcing, this is the one, please take this one home. <laughs> 
the idea of me at a used bookstore holding up a book like it's Simba is not far off from my reality. <laughs> I was just going to say, I can absolutely picture you doing that. Well, because I go to used bookstores with my best friend, Jackie, who I've known since fifth grade. And she and I, you know, we do this like our thing. We go to these used bookstores and she'll be across the, the room. And I'll be like, Jackie, and I'm holding up books like, you need this. So I literally do this to my, my poor, <laughs> long-suffering best friend. Um, anyway, okay. The questions that are just recommend your favorite books are our favorite questions. Uh, before <laughs> we get to the answer, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which I am entirely here for. So our first sponsor is One Good Deed by David Baljachi. And I know what you're thinking. Amanda, you're not a 60-year-old dad. And you'd be right. But you're also <laughs> a little bit wrong because I am your 60-year-old dad. And I love the the um, premise of this. It's about a man named Archer. Last name. His first name is Aloysius. So we're clear. Archer, who is a straight-talking World War II vet, fresh out of prison for a crime he didn't commit. Yes, I'm going to read this four times, like in a row on a beach. Um, and of course, David Baldacci is a super famous political thriller author. Um, so the book is set in 1949. Aloysius, I'm not going to call him Archer. I know that's what's in the synopsis, but I'm calling him Aloysius, is released from prison. He's sent to Poca City on parole. Um, the small town, as it always does, proves to be a lot more complicated and dangerous than he thought. Um, and so a murder takes place like right under his nose. And of course, because he is fresh out of jail, the police automatically, automatically suspect him. Um, so Archer realizes, excuse me, Aloysius realizes that the crime could send him right back to prison where he does not want to go. And so he has to use every skill he learned in the war, capital T, capital W, to track down the actual killer. So if you too are a 60-year-old dad inside, or on the outside, or both, um, please go read this. So that's One Good Deed by David Baldacci. I'm so excited about this one. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Okay, I'm going to keep going. So my Simba book for this, which I'm going to call them from <laughs> now on, my Simba book for this question is My Favorite Thing is Monsters, Volume 1 by Emil Ferris. <clears throat> and I picked this because it is a book that I think gets passed over a lot for being a giant graphic novel it's like 400 pages it's huge it has a big blue face on the cover and when i see people look at it in bookstores it's usually like just glanced over and i want to shake them and be like no get it it's so good um and so this graphic novel takes place in the 60s in chicago and it's about a little girl i think she's 10 her name is karen and she is obsessed with b movie like b horror movies um and also pulp monster magazines and this is her told from her perspective and it's like her diary so she is like forever drawing drawing selfies what am i hashtag millennial drawing pictures of herself um as monsters and as the book progresses like that's just how she sees herself like she identifies as a pulp monster um and then her neighbor she lives in a, a block of apartments in chicago her neighbor upstairs named anka who is a survivor of the holocaust is murdered uh and she decides that she's going to solve this mystery her brother gets involved um and she starts talking to um anka's widower um and also like going through her things and as this like 10 year old girl her mother um is single and she's like just very overlooked by everyone in the neighborhood um so she can get like all up into people's business and find out what happened to this woman who like survived the most atrocious events of history and then is, you know, killed in just like this horrible way in her apartment. Um, So you go back and forth between like 60s Chicago, um, Nazi Germany, uh, back to when Anka was young and like what led her to get married and to come to Chicago and how people who live in this neighborhood are and are not are are and are not involved. And this is told against the backdrop of Karen's um, brother who has a maybe relationship with Anka, um, but who is also trying to take care of her because their mother is dying of breast cancer. Um, so she's just like diving into this mystery and, and, you know, into these movies and this pulp magazine to escape her home life, uh, which is very loving, but also really, really complicated. And it's just beautifully drawn. Like it's drawn like a 10-year-old girl's composition notebook where she's writing down her notes, you know, very Harriet the Spy, like writing down the things that she's learned about her neighbors. And you as the reader are putting together what's going on before she does, obviously, because she's 10. Um, and it's just such, it's so beautifully and interestingly told. It's like, it's just a work of like complete genius, like artistically, 
narratively, it's amazing. So that's my favorite thing is Monsters, Volume 1 by Emil Ferris, which has a really bonkers story about distribution, like the whole, the ship that was carrying these from the distributor um, overseas to the to the U.S. like sank. So it got pushed back. The public p- publication date got pushed back like months and months. It was impossible to get for a while. Anyway, it's great. Go read it. It seems like like it would be hard to cheat on this question, but I am a little <laughs> bit because the book I picked is one I just read and it came out in paperback in May. So it's not exactly older, but I haven't seen a ton of talk about it and I'm obsessed with it. It's The Map of Salt and Stars by Zane Jukadar. And this is an amazing book. It's a dual perspective narrative. The first perspective is a 12-year-old girl who was born in New York City to a Syrian American family. And her father has died of cancer. And they are moving back to Syria to be closer to family. And she's you know, struggling a little bit because she feels like a fish out of water. Her Arabic is not very good. Her older sisters remember Syria, but she was born in New York, so she doesn't. Um, And that's complicated enough. And of course, she's really missing her father. And one of the things that they used to do together was he would tell her stories, including one about this girl in the 12th century named Rowia, who becomes an apprentice to a map maker after disguising herself as a boy sort of to seek her fortune. And so she starts telling herself the story. And then you get Rowia's story as a separate narrative strand. And the way that Jukadar has like transposed these two narratives against each other is just freaking genius. They're traveling a very similar geographic path. Uh, and it's amazing because Rowia's story has like a touch of the magical about it. Like there's a rock, you know, the giant bird from legend. And it's like, following them to get revenge because of a thing. And also there are various political entities that don't want them making maps and think they're spies for the other king or sultan or tribe or whatever. And they're having all of these adventures. And then Noor, her family, is being displaced from Syria by the civil and political unrest. So they become refugees and she has to make her own journey. And it's a really... I, I mean, as you might expect, it's a very difficult thing in certain parts to read. Uh, trigger warnings include sexual assault um, for her sister, her older sister. But it's it's amazingly done. And Noor's perspective, she is synesthesia, uh, synesthesia, and so she like everybody's voice has a different color, and mm. you know the sounds that the bomb makes is a specific color, and you know the way she experiences the world is so beautifully rendered and so so visceral. And her her perspective is just so perfectly written. It's sort of, it's like a little bit heartbreaking because you as an adult can contextualize some things that she's really struggling with. And it's just perfectly done. And then it sort of gets balanced out with this very like adventure sort of legendary story of Rowia. And it's, I just, I'm just obsessed with it, y'all. It's so good. Everybody needs to read it. So, so, so good. It's like, it's kind of like if you took things I loved about The Bird King by G. Willow Wilson and things I loved about Disoriental uh, by Nigar Javadi, which I know I've talked about on the show a million times and like put them together. That's what this book is. It's just fantastic. So if I did see it in a book sale anywhere, I would hold it up like like Simba and be like, everybody, like y'all need to line up and take turns telling me why you should be the one to take this home. Also, if I had more copies, you would all take it home. Like it's so, it's so, so, so good. So again, that's The Map of Salt and Stars by Zane Jukadar. Our next question is from Megan, who says, I am thinking about moving to Manchester, England to start a graduate program in September. So I'm looking for contemporary fiction or nonfiction set in Manchester that would give me insight into the city and introduce me to writers from the region. Since I can't visit the city before starting the program, I think reading could help calm my nerves a bit. When I lived in Paris, I read 4321 by Paul Auster and really enjoyed the Parisian and literary references. Uh, It would be a nice addition if one of the recommendations had a non-white, non-male protagonist and author. What do you got, Amanda? It's the wrong thing. I just <laughs> I just realized that I missed the word contemporary in this oh. question because I definitely picked a Victorian author. But you know what? I'm going to go with it. I'm going to stand by it because it's too late. <laughs> so here we go. Okay. I picked Mary Barton by Elizabeth Gaskell. 
And look, this book is amazing. And I know, again, I know you said contemporary, but I really think you should read it. Elizabeth Gaskell was a contemporary of Dickens. Um, and this was her first novel. Uh, it was based on an actual murder that occurred in Manchester. And like, if you're unfamiliar uh, with the history of the city, Manchester is very much like an industrial working class historically, especially during the Victorian era. Um town and was the site of a lot of class conflict um, during the Industrial Revolution. And that's what this book is about. Uh, Mary Barton, the titular character, is uh, the daughter of a man who's implicated in a murder. And she gets involved in a love triangle between the son of a local mill owner and somebody, another man who is like her, uh, a member of her class. Mary Barton is a working class person. Um, And through this love triangle where she is pursued by and also pursues the son of the mill owner, which would elevate her class status. Um, And then this other boy who is her own class pursues her through like that love triangle unfolds this really story about class conflict uh, in the Industrial Revolution in Manchester. And it's about mills and like cotton mills um, and the ways in which progress and machinery usurped the role of like of workers of people who were milling the cloth and milling the the cotton on their own um you know they the mill owners would bring in these huge engines to do it for them and they could fire you know dozens of people and which of course led to all of this squalor and historically manchester during this period when the mill owners were laying people off and bringing in new machinery to do the jobs um, manchester devolved into this really really poor like desperately poor area and Gaskell is writing about that. Like, it's very Dickensian, um, as a lot of Victorian literature is, uh, in that way where, like, it's telling a story through compelling characters that are often a little bit caricature but in a fun way um, that's really about how terrible poverty is. And I don't know that you can divorce, you know, a city's current state from uh, its its origins. So Manchester existed, of course, long before the Victorian era. But the way that it exists now, which again is still pretty industrial, um, has a lot to do with what this book is about. So I, you know, sorry that I misread your question, but I stand by it. I stand by Elizabeth Gaskell now and forever. So that's Mary Barton by Elizabeth Gaskell. <laughs> I Whoops. actually think that's a nice pairing Thank with you. mine, which is Jeanette Winterson's memoir, Why Be Happy When You Can Be Normal. And I I love Jeanette Winterson. And I've read a bunch of her novels. And I just started this memoir. And it's so good already. Um, I will give a trigger warning for child abuse. She grew up, she was adopted by uh, very religious parents while her mother was very religious and her mother was also abusive so there's some there's some tough stories in there um but it's i mean if you're familiar with Jeanette Winterson you already know she's amazing and you may not know like I didn't until I picked this up that she was born in Manchester and uh like lived very close by for her first 16 years of life and then left and it has deeply deeply informed her writing to the point where you know her first novel oranges are not the only fruit is definitely inspired by her own childhood. So, oh man, when I'm not reading her, I know I love her, but I forget exactly how good of a writer she is. And then I pick up one of her books and I just like, I have a library ebook of this, so I can't underline every, anything. So I'm taking all of these screenshots on my phone and I'm like, I'm going to forget which sentence it was that I am re- even shooting this screenshot of, but they're all so good. She's so good at sentences. Oh my goodness. And there's great passages about, you know, the history of Manchester, some of what Amanda was talking about and how it has shaped the region and how that influences her own memories of it and how she feels like it's influenced her uh, parents. And it's just, it's so interesting because you're getting, you know, her perspective as, you know, a young girl who came out and had to leave the house because of religious parents and somebody who survived an abusive childhood and is reflecting on how she came through it. And there's a beautiful passage about the will to find joy. Oh, like I'm just having all of the feelings sitting here thinking about it and i'm only like i don't know maybe 80 100 pages in it's so 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 good so i think this will both give you a feel for manchester in like relatively recent times i mean jeanette winterson is older but 
still in this, you know, last, what, 50, 60 years. And then uh, and then uh, definitely, if you haven't read her, I think you will want to. And if you have read some of her fiction, you will want to read this anyway. So again, that's Why Be Happy When You Could Be Normal by Jeanette Winterson. She was just long listed for the booker. Oh, she's she deserves every award ever. I mean, I haven't read the Booker list b- book yet, but she's just freaking amazing. She's so good. I don't think it's out yet, is it? Frankenstein? You know, it's a, oh, Frankenstein. I actually have the galley, uh-huh. um, but I am yeah, buried. So. Right. <laughs> so, but yeah, she's, I mean, I will never forget reading Written on the Body for the first time mm-hmm. ever. I will never forget reading that book for the first time. She's amazing. She is. She is. She's also like, this is a tangent, but uh, do you follow her on Instagram? No. What? She's on Instagram? I think it was Instagram. Maybe it was Twitter. I'm sorry. I might be mixing up my platforms here, but she, maybe it was Twitter, tweeted, I think, a picture of a rabbit that she killed that was like eating her garden, um, like eating her, you know, vegetable garden. And then she like made soup from the rabbit. Wow. I know. I was like, that's the most badass thing I've ever seen an author do in my life. Like she just... She shot it and then put it in a pot. Like, R.I.P. R. her mentions, right? Like, oh, totally. Yes. It was very much like the vegans are angry, but yeah. I mad respect. for <laughs> Okay, moving on. Um, question three is from Kim, who says, I recently bought my friend's daughter, the Phoebe, the unicorn books and successfully turned a tentative reader into a certified bookworm. She even posted me her own little thank you note. That's adorable. Um, She comes from an extended family where she's surrounded by young mothers and examples of motherhood and homemaking. And while this is lovely, I know her mom is keen to make sure she knows that having children is not the only path available to her. Could you recommend some books to keep her inspired, whatever her path may be? I particularly want to combat the kind of troubling comments I know she's come up against already in her young life, such as little boys become doctors, little girls become nurses. Um, She's pretty into street dance, math, baking, and her family's Land Rover. Nothing too scary. Um, She's eight years old. Availability in the UK, a must. Okay. I picked Lola Levine is Not Mean by Monica Brown, which is a middle grade book. Middle grade might be early reader. Eh, Whatever. Um, She's a second grader. Lola Levine is a second grader. So right they're the same age as your niece. Um, Lola Levine is a girl who comes from a family where her mother's Peruvian and her father is Jewish and she loves soccer. Uh, and so she's at school. She's like not a super popular kid, but she's not not a popular kid. You know, she's like just very middle of the road as far as that goes. But then one day when she's at school, she slide tackles. Is that the right word? I just started watching soccer with the World Cup this year. So she <laughs> slides into somebody with her cleats, um, a really popular boy named Juan Gomez and like hurts his ankle very badly. And so everybody in her school starts making fun of her and calling her mean Lola Levine. And it's like very traumatizing. Um, so she feels really bad. And with the she gets involves her family family and her best friend Josh and figures out how to like make amends to this kid and um, get everybody off her back. Her little brother is also a really cute character in this book. The reason why I picked it is because I feel like most athletic characters in kids books are boys like are portrayed as boys Um, and having a girl especially with the Women's World Cup being such a big thing this year, having a girl whose whole world revolves around being a really, really good athlete and competitive. And this is the thing that people make fun of her for in the book is for being too competitive, um, would be useful in a household where maybe a little girl is getting a lot of messages about what girls can and cannot do. It's not that's not made like a big point of in this book. Lola Levine does not mean like it's not, oh, you're a girl and you play soccer, pat, pat, pat. It's just the way that it, it's just what it is. She really loves it. She's very good at it. So she does it. Um, and I think that that would probably help. So that's Lola Levine is not mean by Monica Brown. Nice. I had to go looking for some options just because I wanted to give you something new. And I haven't read this one yet, but it is now on my TBR. And it was recommended by Karina Yan Glazer, who is the host of our Kidlet These Days podcast and also the writer of our Kids Are All Right newsletter. So she knows whereof she speaks. And it is The Case of the Missing Moonstone, which is the first in the Wollstonecraft Detective Agency by Jordan Stratford and illustrated by Kelly Murphy. And this seems amazing it's a middle grade series about little like 11 year old lady ada byron and 14 year old (laughs) mary godwin who form a detective agency to solve crimes together oh i'm so excited (laughs) for this and their first case involves a stolen heirloom a false confession and an array of fishy suspects and it's like a sherlock holmes john watson except like girls in stem because ada lovelace was the world's first computer programmer 
And Mary Shelley, formerly Mary Godwin, is the author of Frankenstein. So these characters are based on real historical women that she can learn about and, like, you know, get excited about. And it's also a mystery. And I read a bunch of reviews and people were saying it's perfect for the age that she is. And like, not scary. They have to use math and science and creative thinking to solve the crimes. So it's very much like girls doing the thing, using their smarts. And it just sounds like so much fun. And the illustration style, judging by the cover and the little peek inside that I did is amazing. So it seems like it would be really, really fun. So again, that's the case of the Missing Moonstone, the first in the Wollstonecraft Detective Agency by Jordan Stratford and illustrated by Kelly Murphy. And I did check it is available in the UK. Yeah, I did too. I forgot to mention that. Thank you. Yeah, I like panic checked, but I did check. <laughs> panic checking the Jen and Amanda story. <laughs> I know. It's too real. Okay. Uh, so our next question is from Erlene, who says, I'm looking for recommendations for my book club. We tend to gravitate towards mysteries and thrillers. The darker, the better. Books we've read in the past include The Good Girl by Mary Kubica, The Child Finder by Renee Denfield, The Dinner by Herman Koch, The Chalk Man by CJ Tudor, Force of Nature by Jane Harper, and Confessions by Kenai Minato. You are not kidding mm. about the dark. Uh, we like twists and the switching perspectives. What do you got, Amanda? Another Booker Prize. Oh, yes. Uh, My Sister the Serial Killer by Oyinkin Braithwaite. To be fair to me, I picked this before the Booker Prize was, or the long list was announced. It doesn't actually matter. I really like the Booker, so I don't know why I'm ragging on it. Um, so My Sister the Serial Killer is not so much a who done it as it is a, a, a why done it or like what to do after done it. I don't know. Um, so the main character's name is Coretti, and she is a nurse um, in Nigeria. Her sister, Ayula, is um, her little sister. They're very close. They both still live at home with their mother. Um, and Ayula is what you would call, like, she's the pretty one and she's the popular one. And um, Coretti is more, like, the quiet, steady, you know, has a good job, keeps her head down kind of a thing. The problem is that Ayula is also a murderer who keeps killing her boyfriends. Um, and Coretti has not done anything about it. Uh, she doesn't turn her in or anything. In fact, what she does is when Ayula calls her and says, oops, I did it again, kind of a thing, um, Coretti cleans it up, like literally and figuratively cleans up the body and cleans up the crime scene and cleans up Ayula's panic and like fixes it. Um, then the problem that happened, like the thing that happens to make this like a conflict, you think that that would already be a conflict, but it's not, is that Ayula starts dating the man that Coretti has been in love with for like several years, a, a doctor at the hospital where she works. And so now it's not just my sister is a terrible person, but now my sister is a terrible person who's going to murder the man that I love. What what, what do I do? Um, complicating this a little bit further is that Coretti has been confessing all of this to a patient in her hospital who is in a coma um, who wakes up and remembers what, what Coretti has told him. Um, so there's a there's a lot going on here. And I love this book so much. And it seems, especially if I feel like the title does it a bit of a disservice, because it just seems like, you know, um, kind of a thriller. And it is a thriller. And it's very dark. But it is really about the things that women have to do to survive and try to thrive in a really deeply patriarchal and misogynistic society. Um, and also, you know, the things that we will do for our families even when you know that they're wrong, like not just know that they're wrong, but know that they're probably evil. Like maybe she's a sociopath, um, but they they go through and you you learn more about this as the book goes. But they have they went through so much as children and they've been so bonded and like depended on each other so much to survive their childhood that now they get to adulthood. And it's like, where is the line? Like, where is the end of the things that I will do for you? Uh, which is such a fascinating question. And like one I've never considered until I read this and was like, what if my sister were a murderer? I don't know what I do, honestly. Like, shrug. Um, but super dark, <laughs> weird thriller, like very interesting. And I think this is a good book club pick because there's no mystery about who the murderer is, like, you know, from page one. Um, so it's really more a character exploration. So that's My Sister, the Serial Killer by Oyinkin Braithwaite. I've got to read that. It's really, it's short. You could get through it probably in a day. I know, yeah. I know. It's just time. Right. Ugh. 
Um, okay, I'm giving you another one from my TBR because it is by Kate Atkinson, who is amazing. Mm-hmm. I loved Life After Life and other things she's written. And this one is Case Histories. It's the first in the Jackson Brody series and multiple contributors fell all over themselves to recommend it when we were talking about this question in the Slack. And it sounds like it's exactly what your book group is going to like because it's three seemingly unconnected cases in Edinburgh that then have, you know, surprise connections <laughs> to each other. Um, so the first case is a little girl goes missing in the night. Ugh, terrifying. Uh, case two is a young office worker falls victim to a seemingly random attack. And then case three is a new mother, like, is feeling so trapped by a new baby and a very demanding husband until she has a fit of rage and like bad things happen. And then the story starts 30 years after the first incident. Uh, and Jackson Brody is a private investigator who starts investigating all three cases and, you know, startling connections emerge. Um, Kate Atkinson is just such a good writer. And anybody who can pull off a book like Life After Life is clearly a master plotter. So I have no doubt that her mysteries are like super Super tightly and fascinatingly written. So again, that is Case Histories by Kate Atkinson. And it is time for our next sponsor, which is Never Have I Ever by Jocelyn Jackson, sponsored by William Morrow Books. And I am super interested in this book for various reasons. Let me tell you about it. So it is obviously Never Have I Ever is a reference to a game. And what if the, your I never have was actually something so bad and shameful that you do anything to keep a secret and your worst enemy knew and was determined to expose you? How far would you go to protect yourself? Our main character, Amy, is about to find that out, and winning could be deadly. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, so Amy is pitted against her arch enemy, Rue, in a game of cat and mouse as each fights to maintain the lives that mean everything to them. This is a Library Reads Hall of Fame pick, which I didn't even know was a thing, but there you go. Um, it's an August 2019 Indie Next pick. It's a Siba Okra pick. Siba uh, meaning the Southern Independent Booksellers Association, so that's cool. And it is a domestic suspense, also good for book clubs looking for dark and twisty thrillers. And I love that the author learned how to scuba dive for this book. Apparently, there are multiple underwater scenes, which are both peaceful and suspenseful in equal measure. That sounds super interesting to me and also related to a future question in this show. So like all kinds of interesting things going on here. I'm very curious. So again, that's Never Have I Ever by Jocelyn Jackson, sponsored by William Morrow Books. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. All right. Our next question is from Kristen, who says, I just tore through City of Brass and Kingdom of Copper by S.A. Chakraborty, and I'm having trouble moving on. Nothing I pick up is holding my interest, and I find myself dreaming of a big book set in a foreign land with magic and friendship and intrigue. Can you recommend something that will help fill the hole in my reading heart until the third book comes out in 2020? Oh, there's a third book? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The second ends on like a serious cliffhanger. Okay. Well, then I will wait. I have (laughs) the first two. I just haven't you know you know how it is i do know okay well then that makes me feel fine about it then i'll just wait till the new one comes out (laughs) um i'm game for almost anything except horror recent book loves in addition to these two include the night circus once upon a river circe and everything by becky chambers you'll see a lot of familiar titles on my goodreads uh okay and then she links to her goodreads all right i picked mark's woman by Radhi Merotra. And I, this is not, it's not huge. Like it's about 375 pages. And I know that um, City of Brass is like a chunkster. But there are two books uh, in the duology, um, Mark's Woman and the second one came out this year. So you can read them back to back and it's kind of like one big giant book. Uh, I don't know, 375 pages is not super short so i think it's fine i really enjoyed this because it is exactly like what you're describing like a really epic adventure um set in a like foreign land and this one has a little bit of a sci-fi element added to the fantasy which is cool so the main character's name is kyra she is a markswoman in the order of kali which is an elite warrior sisterhood and their job they're basically the bodyguards of this universe like when justice needs to be served you call upon a markswoman and they come and mostly they're assassins like fulfill death sentences that have been handed down by local governments um and it's only only women are accepted they have blades that are essentially magical like they they bond with their with their weapons in like a literal way not in a like oh i really like my knife but in a like 
it reads my mind and tells me what to do kind of a way um, that are made with this specific kind of metal. Um, and they travel by going through these transport hubs that are spaced sporadically throughout this world. And the transport hubs are seem to have been like left there by an alien race. Like it's very mysterious about where they came from and how to use them specifically. That's also where the metal came from that makes their blades. Um, and so that's a cool, I, I enjoy like a little bit of a mashup of fantasy and science fiction. Um, and so when the book opens, she, Kira has gone on her first assignment to uh, kill somebody who is terrible. And it happens to be, not happens to be, her first assignment is a member of a gang that murdered her family and like destroyed her village. Um, and then when she comes home, she comes home to her order being really like thrown into chaos. There's, um, well, I don't want to spoil it, but there's like a conspiracy that happens and she has to go on the run basically. And when she, when she runs, she goes through a transport hub trying to get far, far away and she ends up uh, at the Order of Kerr, which is the only order that has men in it, which is like a huge, big scandal. And so they're, of course, they're very distrustful of her because men are very discriminated against in this kind of universe. Um, but she brings them her story. Like, I, there's this conspiracy happening, you know, like the world is in danger, all of this kind of stuff. And then they have to decide whether they believe her or not. And on it goes. So it's, there's a lot of like political intrigue. Um, I really enjoyed the battle scenes. Like her, her fighting style is really interesting. Um, and the, the thing where like the, the, the deadly assassins of this world are women. And when men try to join, they're looked on, you know, with like disdain is so fascinating. And I really like that gender flipped thing in books um, where the men are the ones discriminated against, not because I like want men to be discriminated against, but because it seems so ridiculous in a way that we don't necessarily identify discrimination against women as being automatically ridiculous. Um, so that's always an interesting mental exercise, but it's just a super fun epic adventure. So that's Mark's Woman by Rati Mehrotra. I really did like that one too. Okay, my pick for you, I know exactly the feeling you're having, and I <laughs> feel really good about my pick, but it's also the first book in a series, and you're going to have to wait a little bit for the sequel, so I'm sorry in advance. It's Empire of Sand by Tasha Suri. The second book comes out in November, and the nice thing about Empire of Sand is that the big plot in it gets wrapped up pretty well in this first book but the world is still there waiting for more adventures so there's not like a, a character cliffhanger like there is in city of brass and kingdom of copper and this is based on it's inspired by mughal india's empire and the main character mare is the illegitimate daughter of a like outskirty territory imperial governor and her mother was an Amriti tribeswoman who she doesn't really remember her mother like went into exile but she has inherited both sort of her mother's um looks as it were and her magic her mother comes from a tribe that has magical powers in their blood and these are frowned upon by her father's people and her father's court and she is illegitimate like i said so she's like pampered but also has no control over her life like she lives a very nice existence she has nice clothes she has food she has all the things that she could want physically but she's not allowed to do a lot of things they're constantly trying to suppress her magic and her heritage her stepmother is not a fan and barely lets her talk to her younger sister so there's like a lot of her she has problems but they're like privilege problems and then Word gets out that she has powers because she like decides she's going to go on an adventure that, of course, goes very badly. And then everybody suddenly knows that she has these frowned upon powers. And the emperor, the like godlike emperor, sends uh, his minions to the court to get her for unknown, possibly sinister question mark reasons. <laughs> and in the process is like, also, you're going to marry one of my other minions. Like, these are your choices. Like, either your family will suffer, or you will come marry a minion and work for me. And she's like, well, cool. So, <laughs> so she decides that she's going to, you know, like consent to this marriage and do this thing because she 
truly doesn't feel like she has much of a choice, but she wants to make as much choice as she can within the strictures of that. And then she has to like cross a desert. She's never really been out of the palace grounds in her life. So that's very difficult for her physically. And they're trying to tell her about her magic and she's resisting them because like she doesn't want to be there. And it's really interesting the way that she and her like, quote unquote, husband interact is wonderful. I think I was not sure how that was going to go. And then I loved their story as well. And she, you know, gets to the emperor's court and like things are terrible. Surprise. And it's just, oh, man, there's there's magic and there's politics and there's just really complicated feelings. And the world is so lush and inventive. And I just think it's got that it's got that sort of lived in feel that, you know, good fantasy has where it doesn't feel fresh and shiny. It feels like a little bit gritty, but Mm. it's new to you. So that's where the shiny comes from. It's really, really fantastic. It was one of my favorite new fantasy series of the last like year and a half. So again, that's Empire of Sand by Tasha Suri. And it's the first in the Books of Amba series. The second one comes out in November. So we don't have so long to wait on that. And our next question is from Brittany, who says, I have become fascinated with underwater exploration and all things under the sea. It's a whole different world and is equal parts exciting and terrifying to me. I have not read many books dealing with underwater adventure, but would love more options to pick up. I read Josh Mallerman's A House at the Bottom of the Lake, and I loved how uneasy it made me feel as I was reading it. I love all things magical realism and science fiction, but wouldn't be opposed to an adventure as well, hoping for more fictional recommendations than nonfiction. All right, I'm going to stop talking for a minute. Amanda. Okay, I picked Low, Volume 1, uh, which is subtitled The Delirium of Hope. It's by, it's a comic, obviously. It's by Rick Remender. Uh, Greg Cicchini is the artist, and Dave McCaig is the colorist. So in Low, humanity has fled the Earth to live under the water, um, mostly because of the sun expanding, like a little bit because the environment is terrible and we destroyed it in nuclear war, also because the sun has expanded and the radiation has made the surface of the earth unlivable. So mankind has run away to the like deepest, deepest depths of the oceans to survive and created all of these really flourishing, uh, to this point, um, societies, like say, underwater cities where millions of people live. And there are like sea pirates but like submarines submarine pirates and all this really interesting technology um the problem is that they're like running out of resources running out of time and when they when humanity first went down under the ocean they sent a satellite probe several satellite probes off into the galaxy looking for new habitable planets um and nobody has any hope that like that's going to result in anything and since humanity is running out of resources under the ocean since all of these societies have kind of devolved into these like debaucherous sort of well we're gonna die in 50 years anyway so whatever you know um kind of situations but then one of the satellites sends back a ping that it's returning because it has found something and so the main characters which is a family a mother father and then a grown son and then a couple of little kids who like run one of these communities um have to decide what to do like are they going to tell people um some people who are some some of the more powerful members of a few of these societies are very invested in that information not getting out because hope is a really dangerous thing. Um, and there's like just, you know, it's a comic, so it's very long running. I think there are four volumes of it, uh, which is a collection of six comics each. Um, and they go every you follow each family member as they go on their various adventures in dealing with this news um some of them get kidnapped some of them they get separated i think in the first volume but they get separated very early uh and you know now it's like a mission to save humanity uh and it's a really interesting comic because remember i in the introduction to the first issue i don't know if it's in this in the collection of the volumes but in the first issue that i got like at my comic shop he has an interview where he talks about how he this whole thing is like an allegory for his journey um dealing with depression and how as an adult he discovered therapy and started going to therapy to deal with his mental health and coming out of that felt like coming out of a deep dark ocean and like so it's just such a fascinating uh, you know a post-apocalyptic metaphor for mental health struggles it, the art is beautiful like every page could be framed um it's not the most like uplifting it is very vulgar like 
this is an R-rated comic, not for kids, not safe for work. Um, but I really, really loved it. So that's Low, Volume 1 by Rick Remender. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's super interesting. There are no, I don't know if they changed it later in the run, but there are no women in the creative mm. team, which, you know, which is why I don't talk about it, like, super often, but it was perfect for this question. And it's it's a really beautiful comic. Yeah, interesting. Um, I picked for you my favorite Murder Mermaids book. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> you said you wanted to feel uneasy. What do you want? Uh, it's Into the Drowning Deep by Mira Grant, which is the first in the Rolling Deep series. I have not followed up to see the other ones in this series, but I enjoyed the heck out of this one. And also, I am never going anywhere near the Mariana Trench ever. Um, so the main character is a marine biologist who became one because her sister went on like a film shoot in the Mariana Trench as like a jokey mockumentary about mermaids and then were killed. And the footage that got back appears to show actual mermaids. But it was like, is it a hoax? Is it not a hoax? Who knows? And so she has become a marine biologist, like thinking about her sister. And now she has the chance to go on a new voyage that's going to go to the spot where her sister and that crew disappeared to find out what actually happened. And she is just a great character. Um, she's so motivated. She's so no nonsense and pragmatic. Like the book opens with her doing commentary on like a whale watching trip for tourists. And she goes into this rant about like ecology and environmentalism. And her boss is like, yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> um, and there are all of these other characters on the ship as well. Like there's like big game hunters that have been hired by the organizers in case there is something there. And then there's, you know, deep sea divers and somebody who comes with their own like one person submarine and there's a woman who's been chosen to be the face of the camera as it were um, because they're filming all of this and so everybody is coming for different reasons and they are all interacting with each other in really interesting like sometimes uncomfortable sometimes like mm, romantic ways and it's just it's such a good action-y book it's such a good character book and it yeah has some really great underwater oceany sequences so i think you will enjoy it again slash also it will maybe give you nightmares just saying um and that's into the drowning deep by mira grant all right our last question is from kate who says i read a lot of books across a broad range of genres but i'm looking for recommendations for romances with guys who are bossy slash controlling in bed. I've really enjoyed Willing Victim, Brutal Game, and After Hours by Kara McKenna. I've also enjoyed Laurie Foster's romances with Alpha Guy leads. I'm not into the full-on Fifty Shades-esque BDSM thing. That's too much, especially when the control bleeds out of the bedroom and into the rest of life. Okay, so this is a really interesting... We had a lot of like conversations in the romance Slack did. of our contributors Slack about this because the idea of like alpha in the sheets beta in the streets sort of uh, romance is that's a kind of tough needle to thread um so i picked her halloween treat by tiffany rice this is a halloween romance so like there are elements you know like they go to a halloween party and stuff like that but of course you can read it at any time of the year tiffany rice is my favorite erotica and romance author and she does write a uh <laughs> a bdsm if you're interested in it a bdsm series uh the first book is called the saint i think um no the siren uh, about a woman and her BDSM relationship with her priest. But that is very alpha in the sheets, alpha in the streets, alpha all over the place. So probably not what you're looking for. But in her Halloween treat, I think this is what you're looking for. So this is a modern romance. The woman's name is Joey. She lives in Hawaii. She has a very like, cushy job at an airline. And she has a boyfriend of two years who she's planning on marrying until she finds out that he's already married. Hey. Whoops. Yep. Um, so they break up, obviously. And she decides that she is going to get over him by getting under someone else. Hey um, <laughs> and so with that, like plan strategy in mind she travels home to oregon where she grew up her brother is getting married and so she's in town um for that and she's staying in a remote cabin that her family owns and then in wanders chris who is a childhood friend of her and her brother who is now a handyman and a carpenter a really skilled carpenter who is renovating this cabin so that they can use it as like an airbnb um, and it turns out that he's suddenly super hot and maybe he's the Halloween treat of the title. Uh, so they, of course, <laughs> because it's a romance, um, begin a relationship and it is very, he is very bossy in the bedroom. Like it is very, 
alpha behavior. It's a little bdsm Like, there's not, like, props. Like, there isn't Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, there are no beads of any variety. And I don't even really remember <laughs> handcuffs or anything like that. He's just verbally very bossy, like, giving her orders. But then outside of the situation or the context of the bedroom, it's not like that. Like, they have an established relationship. They're friends from childhood. Um, she's a little bit older than him, in fact. So, like, the relationship outside the bedroom really reflects that, that when they were growing up, um, you know, she's she is also bossy. But they're very equal uh, outside of just having sex. But when they are having sex, they are very unequal. Uh, And the characters are, they're both a lot of fun. Um, Like I said, he's a carpenter. So if you have any of that like competence porn thing, which I definitely do when it comes to romance, then you'll really like this character. Good with his hands, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Elbow, elbow. So that's Her Halloween Treat by Tiffany Rice. That is just like one giant, hey-oh, like of a recommendation. I I love talking about romance novels and putting in as many of those as possible. (laughs) You have succeeded. Thank you. (laughs) no no thank you (laughs) Um, all right my pick for this question is thirsty by mia hopkins which was recommended and which i'm reading right now it was recommended by various people in our romance channel on slack and man am i loving this book oh it's so good it is the hero is who is also the narrator of this i'm pretty sure exclusively and that's so interesting because most romances that i read you either get the heroine or you alternate between the heroine and the hero But I don't think we're getting any heroine chapters in here. It's entirely from the guy's perspective, which is fascinating. Hmm. And he is recently released from prison. Salvador is his name. He goes by Ghost. Um, And he was part of a gang as a teenager, you know, growing up in L.A. and like very like working class slash poor area. And so this was like what he did. And he has gotten out of jail and is trying to like put his life back together and he was crashing with a friend but his friend gets kicked out of the house and so now he doesn't have anywhere to stay so he ends up renting the garage of a like kindly little old neighbor lady um for very cheap and she is also living with her grown-up daughter and her daughter is a single mother named vanessa and like the opening sequence is vanessa not realizing that her grandmother has rented out the garage and so he comes out and she's like in the garden working and she like sprays him with a hose like aggressively like what the heck are you doing in my backyard (laughs) like get out of here um and like you know they figure their stuff out but and of course, you know, sparks fly, et cetera, et cetera. And she's so no nonsense. Like she's an accountant. She's a single mom. She has no time for anybody's anything. And he is just like, she's never going to want me. I'm a mess up. Like I have, you know, I'm just trying to get my life together. Nobody has any regard for me. And also he's struggling with some, you know, post-prison anxiety. And, you know, is working as a janitor at this uh, um, gym and just really like, but just like trying to put his head down and get, you know, one step after another. And you can imagine sparks fly, et cetera, et cetera. And he is bossy in the bedroom and she is not. And so you get this really nice dynamic between their regular life personas and then their bedroom personas. And it's very enjoyable. And I love the character development on this. I'm just, I'm going to have to read so many more Mia Hopkins stories now Mm -hmm. and this is the first in a series so which is very exciting for me I'm really delighted for having discovering this I also think this is my first ex-convict romance Hmm. slash fiction maybe even I can't think of that many that I've read if any so that's super interesting too so anyway I think you'll dig it I think everybody should pick it up and give it a try it's Thirsty by Mia Hopkins well you know David Baldacci's new novel it's about an ex-convict. It's true. And a World War vet. It's a weird hey. how we come full circle. <laughs> Very different kinds of books, but here you go. Uh, and that's our show. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to our rantings and ravings. If you feel like leaving a rating on our Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it. It helps other people to find the show. And we do love to see the feedback and the reviews. Thank you to today's sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I'm on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL. And you can find me on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And that's our show. 